Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to which we can say, Amen. Our text comes from the selection just read. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. There is another text from Exodus I would like to read. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What a strange contradiction I had arise in me when I read these two texts and thought about them together for the first time. It's okay for God to really want us to be a jealous God, to really want to have us completely. But we can't covet. Now, things become a bit clearer if we clear up coveting. Sometimes I think we're a bit medieval about things. We would like to say that coveting is just wanting or just desiring or something of this nature. But there really is nothing wrong with wanting or desiring. For example... It is a good thing to want or desire your husband or wife. It is a great thing to want to go to heaven. It is a phenomenal thing to desire to be in chapel. They're not quite the same thing. And the text makes clear to us that coveting is a subset of desiring. It is desiring what you can't have, what you're not entitled to, what is somebody else's. I would suggest this coveting commandment comes up all over the Old Testament. I think about Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth's vineyard. I'll get you the field of Naboth the Jezreelite for a vegetable garden. Naboth, of course, said to Ahab when he wanted to buy it, Far be it that I should give up the inheritance of my fathers. But it was convenient, and so Ahab skulked. And his wife Jezebel said, I'll get it for you. And set him up at a meeting, a feast, where witnesses came and said he had blasphemed God and the king. And he was taken out and killed. And then the prophecy came, and Jehu did the same thing to his killers or their descendants on that same field. Or you can look at Eve. Not supposed to have the apple, but of course, what does she want? Well, maybe it wasn't an apple. We don't know. She's not supposed to have this. Or Babel. 
thinking about that tower designed to unite people so they wouldn't be scattered as God had told them to do. Now, of course, it's very easy to project on other people coveting. It's easy to talk about the Old Testament or even the New Testament and talk about people coveting. Or we can talk about the consumerism of our society as though we're not part of it or something like this. But in reality, if we're honest about it, we all want things we're not entitled to. We believe that happiness comes through the thing we can't afford. We see the other person's spouse as better than ours in some way, and the grass sure looks greener on the other side sometimes. We desire in ways that we should not. And we take land from others in a show of right. Whole tracts of this great nation of ours were established and taken from the natives in that way. There's another way of looking at coveting, if maybe people don't feel like they have too much of a problem with it, and James 4 helps us in this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think James is simply telling us that the way we see the coveting is all the other commandments being broken. You see, adultery does not occur if there's no coveting. Murder does not occur if there's no passion and desire to have what we should not have. Theft and slander and even the lack of worship of God do not occur if our priorities are straight. But of course, they're not, are they? And so we fall under all these sins. The point here is that sin is a sign that the heart is covetous. And who does not fall under this judgment? But you know, we are the most fortunate people ever. God loves us and desires us more than the life of his own son. We see this example in Hosea where he is commanded to go buy back Gomer, even though she has again been unfaithful. Our God is a jealous God. Now, there are two kinds of jealousy, and the word is sloppily used to mean that a person is envious or distrusting of another. But I would suggest to you that more properly, at least when we're dealing with God, jealousy means having exclusive access to what is yours. Notice loyalty. And in that sense, jealousy is a very good thing. It's not about suspicion and distrust. It's simply about having what's yours. God is jealous. 
He wants to buy us back as Gomer was bought back by Hosea for a homer and a lethic of barley. Because we do not have the power to accomplish this on our own, he sent his son Jesus Christ to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. The God who so loved the world was so jealous of us that he was ready to throw down the gauntlet and to go through the gauntlet of sin, death, and hell at the cross, taking our sins, our death, and our hell, and taking them to the grave. He did this because he wants exclusive access to us. He wants us to be his chosen people, and he does this to transform our lives and make us into what we should have been. He doesn't do it to dominate or to subjugate, but to liberate us from our bondage to decay. And you know, it's okay to desire God in this same way. It's okay to love our spouses in this same way. It's okay to cherish the inheritance of our fathers the way that Naboth cherished the inheritance of his. It's good to love our children as God has loved us. We do not in the parable told by Nathan the David um, we do not as in the parable told by Nathan to David after the murder of Uriah the Hittite and the marriage to Bathsheba, seek out the ewe lamb of our neighbor, but rather, as Luther says, have it stay, be faithful, and do its duty. In the new Adam, we are created new through what Christ has done, and that new Adam wants God. It is God's great love for us, his jealousy for us, his desire to save us that differs so much from our petty coveting, It is this journey of love and strength that takes us to the cross and purges us through baptism, binding us together in the Lord's Supper and taking us through death to life everlasting. God's desire is good, and it fuels all appropriate and God-pleasing desires in us. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.